Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the latest episode of the Blues on Parade podcast, where all we do is talk Chelsea and talk shit about everyone else. Andres, it's just me and you this week, and uh, you have been wonderfully gracious enough to make the script uh, for today's episode. Actually, the next two scripts we're going to be crediting Andres with because he came up with the ideas. But, um, Andres, since you are going to be the host of this next show... Before you begin your hostly duties, why don't you just tell the lovely people here how the man who is about to be married is feeling. And I am feeling good. 12 days away. Put on my full look for the wedding. Everything fits well, so that's a relief. Face <laughs> um, is looking a little bit. skinny there. Are you I on the, so. uh, the Are you on that Nicole Richie diet leading up to the wedding, or...? I don't know what she did. I don't. I, I don't know about starving myself. I like eating too much. I decided to go the easy route and stuffed my face with hamburgers, just no buns, and went the keto route, and it paid off. So, That's but yeah, man, 12, 12 days away feels great. Uh, I think Hannah has a bunch of stuff that she has to do, but the brides always do. I am now in cruise control. I'm ready to go. Excited for it to all come down, and especially to have you guys come visit and. Uh, Celebrate with us. We're excited. I'm sorry for the pandemonium in the background. I'm uh, I'm dropping things. But yeah, man. But it's exciting times. But my wedding is not the only thing in the horizon. The Premier League is back as of this week. We are now, at the time of recording, four more sleeps away from the first Premier League match. And... <laughs> Instead of doing our usual thing where we try to spend way too much time pretending like we know everything about every team, I decided that this year we'll do just a big macroscopic view of the Premier League and just discuss random things. Not just the top four in detail, not just relegation. We'll go into things like the best signing, in our opinion, best overall window, what teams might underachieve, what teams might overachieve, player of the season, that sort of thing. So, Zach. I'm going to start with you. Who is the best signing of this summer transfer for the Premier League? And because it's kind of just broad, I want you to tell, explain what your definition of best signing is. Uh, so, I, I look, I could have gone the conventional route and I could have picked a signing from, you know, one of the bigger sides, I guess, quote unquote, right? Um, but I decided to go with something a little different. So I based it on this transfer fee and what type of value you're going to get out of the player for that transfer fee. And also, obviously, and most importantly, the immediate impact, right? Guy has to come in and hit the ground running. So with that being said, I could have said Holland. I think that's obvious to everybody. The guy's probably going to score a shit ton of goals for Man City. I think the price they got him for is a bargain. Let's just kind of veer away from that for a second and put it's on a my boring answer. <laughs> I'm going to put on my camouflage United States of America baseball cap on dress. I'm going Brendan Aronson. Hell um, yeah, brother. 
Yep. Uh, look, I think Leeds. When I, I and I, I'll be the first one to raise my hand. When Leeds sold Rafinha, I thought it was very ballsy for them to go after Brendan Aronson, right? Um, but for, look, for 25 million, I think it's a bargain. The kid's young. Um, he he's very versatile. He could play anywhere across the front three. He could also play as an attacking mid, or he could play as a part of a, as a most attacking in a midfield three. Um, but I think the proof is in the pudding. For 25 million, just go back and look at his three assists in his last preseason match. And I forget what assist number it was, Andres, but he had one assist in particular where he received the ball with his back to goal in his own half, spun the defender dribbled it maybe 40 or 50 yards and then smacked it with the outside of his boot and sort of bent the ball right into his forward's path. And his forward obviously scored. It was Patrick Bamford. Yeah, but assist number one to Patrick Bamford outside of the go. foot through ball. Yes, sir. So it was a ridiculous bit of skill. And I think this is a player who didn't necessarily put up world beater numbers at Salzburg last year, but had a really good season nonetheless. This is the perfect platform for him to kind of spread his wings and fly. And the fact that they went and also bought Tyler Adams to kind of not necessarily make him feel more comfortable, but to also solidify the team. But the fact that Tyler Adams is also American and there's familiarity there, I think that's just going to make him settle in even quicker. So for $25 million, I think Brendan Aronson is going to be the reason why Leeds fans are happy Rafinha is gone and they're happy that they got the $60 million plus for him and uh, replace him for someone that's half the price who will probably produce maybe not Rafinha numbers his first season, but he'll definitely be impressive enough to warrant that $25 million uh, transfer fee. Yeah, I think that's a really good shout out. I'm a huge fan of Brendan Aronson with the U.S. national team. I've actually been debating whether his kit was will be what I get for the World Cup. But um, I think it's interesting that he was initially a Bielsa target, come in um, – Jesse Marsh, and he's still the guy that he's going after. Uh, it was a good preseason. It'll be interesting to see how he adapts to the Premier League. But in terms of Salzburg, I'm a huge fan of their scouting and what they do. And I feel like every player that comes out of Salzburg bangs. So uh, I totally agree that this could be a great signing. For me, the best signing of this of this window is Gabby Jesus for Arsenal, which pains me to give Arsenal any credit. But my thought process is it wasn't about price, but what player adds the most to the current, uh, to the previous side? And Arsenal had zero striker last season. Aubameyang gave up and, and walked away to play for free for Barcelona. Uh, Lacassette is, he's no longer going to be the kind of guy that scores for you. He kind of pitched in with assists, but scoring was not his thing. And you bring in a Gabby Jesus who scores consistently when he plays for City, can play across your front three. He's clinical, like he knows how to finish, and and he's he doesn't have like a like a superstar complex. He's coming in hungry, like he finally made this move, not just to the benefit of his own career to get minutes, but also to kind of prove to himself that he can lead a line. So you mix him in with a fluid front three of the, the likes of Martinelli, Saka, Odegaard behind them, uh, Emil Smith-Rowe here and there. I think that that's kind of a perfect fit for them. And 50 mil, honestly, 
I still think in this market, that's a great price. Gabriel Jesus is still young relatively. I'm pretty sure he's in his mid, still maybe early 20s, if yeah. I'm not totally like mistaken. 25 or 26. And, and again, he, he showed last season especially that he can play across the front three. So I just think it's a good fit for, for Arteta and Arsenal. Um, so he was my pick for uh, best best signing. So you went outside the big clubs too. Yeah, signing. of course. Yeah, I went. I kept. I, I stuck with the pretenders. I <laughs> look. Listen, I'm giving them praise, and I think he'll have a great season. But I mean, when we get to top four, we can talk about Arsenal again. Um, do you have anything to add on on Gabby Jesus? I think it's a really good signing. I texted my buddy Mazin, who's an Arsenal fan, when I first saw the rumors, and I said, if Arsenal get Gabby Jesus, that just kind of makes them that much more competitive next year. Look, I think 52 million is a lot um, in, in in a sense, considering that they don't necessarily have Champions League football to bank on this next year. So, But still, I think they were missing goals, and this is a guy that can definitely provide that. So as long as they have somebody up top, that, up top that's committed and can link up play, I think things will work out for their attack because they have enough versatility in that front three. And I think he's uh, I think he's just a good signing for them, man. He just kind of fits their profile perfectly. I think he's everything that Lacazette could have and should have been at Arsenal if it works out for him. Because that's another guy that could have slotted anywhere across the front three. Super versatile. Kind of gives you a little bit of everything. But I think Jesus has more of that goal-scoring touch than Lacazette ever did. So that could be kind of scary. We, we I, I think we could be looking at 15-ish. Goal contribution or goals this season from Gabby Jesus if he stays injury free. Yeah, I think I think that's a good shout. I think if if he can push twenty plus contributions, I think that's a good first season away from Guardiola's system. I mean, at the end of the day, he's worked with Arteta too. So even though you can say, oh, it's a new team and all that, Arteta's supposed to be kind of like a B Tech Dollar Tree Pep. I mean, he knows what Gabriel Jesus brings to the table and they play, you know, it's a four, two, three, one, not a four, three, three. They do inverted fullbacks, kind of a fluid front three. It's, they try to emulate city. So who knows? Um, but from best signings, Zach, I'm going <laughs> to take the reins and go to worst signings. I think, uh, you know, we were still about five weeks out, four to five weeks out to the end of the window. And I personally think that the worst signings happened that last week. But because we're recording now, as of today, the 1st of August, I think the worst signing by a long shot is Andreas Pereira to Fulham. Fulham has not been able to stay in the Premier League every time they've been promoted in the past three attempts, four attempts now. And they have a lot to to get right with this window. And replacing Carvalho with Andreas Pereira is one of the biggest downgrades I think I've ever seen. I, I still don't know what Andreas Pereira's best position truly is. At one point, he was supposed to be a winger. Then he was supposed to be a 10. Um, one preseason, I think maybe under Mourinho... He tried playing him in a double pivot. I just don't think he's ever impressed um, in the Premier League. I don't think he impressed uh, any of the times on loan because obviously he still was a United player. Nobody ended up buying him. 
And it's just one of those signings where 11 million, sure, we don't think that's much for, for but for a team that gets promoted, I just don't, I have zero confidence in this being a, a starting player by the end of Fulham season. I was telling you before the podcast started that this guy was being linked with an MLS move. And then all of a sudden, he's moving to Fulham. So that just kind of tells you the expectation, I guess, of the guy. Um, yeah, not much to say on him. He's pretty forgettable just as a footballer in general. Exactly. That, that To add to that, you, you hope that a, a team getting promoted would maybe have a little nuance with their signings. or You have or, to. Yeah, it's just... You have to go for something. You got to be ballsy if you're a team moving up. Yeah. I think I think that's one thing that everybody's made pretty clear. The teams that stay successful are the ones that spend big and it works out. I mean, we've seen Fulham spend big before and it just completely fl- fall flat on their faces. But I mean, you got, you kind of got to go hard. You can't really go after an Andreas Pereira type for me, and you also can't go after um, a certain five nine center back from Ajax. Uh, Lissandro Martinez, who's going to be my worst transfer of the transfer window. Um, Look, there's two sides to this coin. Is he going to play center back? Is he going to play in the midfield as as that defensive mid, which he's done at Ajax before, and he's actually half decent at? Who knows? Regardless, he's not worth the the price tag in either position, in my opinion. Um, As a center back, I think it just kind of goes to show – just look at Man United's track record as of late buying center backs, and you'll see that they haven't necessarily bought very well. And I don't think buying a Lissandro Martinez to possibly partner Harry Maguire um, is the solution to getting Harry Maguire to not be shit overnight. You, you don't become a good footballer just by being partnered next to somebody that's half decent. You have to be half decent yourself. So the problem still remains. Man United is still a center back down. Um, yeah. Who knows where Lindelof figures in to, you know, their plans. Different managers have come in and tried to get something out of him, and he just sort of seems to be the same player. Um, doesn't really get better or worse. And then Eric Bailly is sort of the wild card. He could be really good, or he can also be terrible. <laughs> so, I mean, at the end of the day, Varane's not good enough to cover a whole foot. Like, I, yeah, I yeah. know people try to – I even to forgot trust. about Varane. That's, people try to – go for it. Yeah, well, well, well here, here, here's my logic with it. If you're going to stick Lissandro Martinez in the midfield, you still have a midfield problem. Who's – like – when my, my issue is this, Andres. If Lissandro Martinez gets injured, is not able to play a match, you have to change your entire, entire style of play because now you don't have another DM that does the things he does. You have right. a more stiff, central – you know, bruiser in McTominay as opposed to a more modern six in Lissandro Martinez, a guy who could kind of play both sides of the ball. His distribution's way better than uh, Scott McTominay's too. So that's something that needs to be right. said. But the price tag is just fucking ridiculous to me. <laughs> if they're going to try to play this guy at center back, I think it's going to fall completely flat on their face because they also don't have a left back. I don't think Alex Tellis no, they is signed, shit. They signed that kid oh, from Fenerbahce? Uh, yeah, no, I think it's Feyenoord. Feyenoord, the guy that Feyenoord. was at the he he was in the Europa League final. Yeah, so so or not Europa, excuse me, Conference League final. Again, <laughs> it's 
it's not a very encouraging signing. Like like in the in the meantime, we're going after Kukurea, and a club like Man United is going after you know somebody who's relatively unknown in yeah. a certain sense. So my thing is is that Man United doesn't necessarily have the squad for them to be like, okay, we can splash sixty million on this player and he's going to solve all of our problems because that's what seems like they're doing. Doesn't seem like they're going out and really pushing too hard to sign anybody else for a similar price tag like the other big clubs around them are doing. Instead, they're kind of right. putting all their eggs in this basket and going, let's see what Ten Hag could do. Ten Hag's not going to be able to do shit with certain players. And just buying Lissandro is not enough. So the price tag was too high. Ajax knew they were desperate. And stylistically, I think it's a disaster. I think in, in, in terms of center back, you're going to partner him next to Veron and you're going to sit Harry Maguire. But wait, Harry Maguire was named captain. So now he has to right. play. Which so means that he has to be into that mid- Yeah. So if Lissandro slots into that midfield, in all fairness to Scott McTominay, he's been one of their better midfielders as of late. So, <laughs> but, but then again, you still, like you said, it's, I think, unfortunately, Sandro Martinez is not the midfielder that can do two people's jobs, right? Like he's not even yeah. naturally a midfielder. You're going to put him in a double pivot with who? Fred. You're going to have two undersized left footers playing at the six. That's the other thing is like it's Ten Hag, right? So you think he ran a 4-2-3-1 at Ajax. So Mm -hmm. Bruno gets to play the 10, sure. But it's like is Fred really a double pivot guy? Because he looked better as like a free-roaming eight under uh, what's Ralph Ragnick? Ragnick? And he lit up in, a, in whenever they were doing all these crazy different formations every week. So I think the big price tag is going to be a big burden on Lissandro Martinez. And say what you want about like the kid being talented and show me every clip of him playing against Dortmund in the Champions League. Sure, he did well against Holland once. But like every guy that comes from a lesser league that thinks like his speed can just kind of hide everything else doesn't realize the the big jump in physicality he's argentinian so like i'll there's the benefit of there's a red card in him let's just put it that way yeah exactly (laughs) but but i mean that doesn't instantly make him mascherano so well the thing is if you're running a back three it makes sense to kind of play him because he can sure he's virtually he's perfect for a back three i don't think there's an argument for that but if you're going to play him in a back four you have to have size in the premier league I can't think of a single center back that played in a back four who was undersized on a title winning on a title winning right. side. There you go. Because you could say, oh, well, Daly Blinn did that for United for a little bit. But the, those were some of the worst United teams. <laughs> yeah. So, exactly. yeah. So now let's focus on teams. I want to do best window as of right now. Again, we know there's a whole month left, but like I alluded to before, a lot of the business that gets like that waits out till the end is usually not the best business. Um, knocking on wood because Chelsea has like a bunch of stuff cooking this week that could really turn our window around. But mm-hmm. as of today, August first, first, excuse me, days away from the Premier League starting, who's got the best window? It's gonna kill me, Tottenham. I think they. Can you just... repeat that again? You whispered it a little bit, Zach. What did you say? Tottenham, Tottenham. Uh, uh, okay. <laughs> uh, no, I think it's. I think it. It goes to show. I mean, everybody knows Conte's credentials. I don't think I need to advocate for 
him at all. The guy wins wherever he goes if he gets the players he wants. We all know that. The issue is, can he get the guys he wants? And that was a big question for Tottenham going into this window, um, was is the Levy-Conte relationship finally going to fracture completely? Or is Levy going to bend and give Conte what he wants? And he gave him exactly what he needed, and that's depth. Um, they added the wing back that we all wanted, uh, Perisic, on a free. So that's an experienced international, you know, World Cup-bound player that's going to look to impress early on in the season. And I think that's a sure thing for them in terms of, you know, getting production out of a guy, especially on a free. But a guy like him that could play on either side and, and, and cover for either wing back and also play in the front three if need be, it's huge for them. Um, the other big pickup for them was Richarlison. This sucks for me, man, because I wanted Chelsea to go after him. A part of me wanted him to play for Chelsea. He was one of my sneaky names in my in my transfer pod, but I didn't really focus on him too much because I don't think he would have been the number one target for me, but this is just a guy, every time I see him play, I always wish he's on my side. He's a bit of a head case, um, but he's passionate about the game. He has a decent finish in him, and he basically willed Everton to safety last year on his own. You know, and he, I think he had a five or six game stretch where he was scoring every match for them. Um, But look, I mean, it's a hefty price tag, but we got to take this into consideration, Andres. The thing that hurts and derails Tottenham season every year is their depth and especially their depth up top. Kane and Son get injured every year. One of the two are going to miss a month or two. That's always how it works. If it's not both of them that are popping their hammy, one of them's popping their hammy. So if you lose that production temporarily, Tottenham didn't really have the replacements in the past in Bergvine and Lucas to kind of step in and get that production out of them. Yeah, Bergvine would score a late winner every now and then, but that's about it. Now you have a guy that could come in and regularly demand playing time and get guys like Harry Kane and get guys like Son rest. And he's basically a like-for-like with either of them. He could play on the wing. He's a tricky winger in 1v1 situations. Not as quick as Son, but again, he has sort of that inverted winger slash striker mentality and he could also play up the middle um the other one was eves basuma 25 million pound transfer from brighton i think this is behind brandon aronson the best 25 million spent this window i i'm 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 honestly hard pressed to look around and find a better bargain Um, i think they got one of the best dms in the premier league last year um granted there was some scandal and this and that going on behind the scenes with his personal life but Look, if you can get production out of him like he like he played at Brighton and you get that out of him here and you partner him next to a guy like Hoiberg, that's just – it's a ridiculous midfield for a Conte team. I'm not in general for a Conte team. It's exactly what he wants. And then they brought in Jed Spence, um, the wing back from the championship last year. I think he played on Nottingham, right, Andres? Yeah, he was on loan from Burrow at Nottingham. Yeah, so – Obviously played very well for them. He was one of their standout players. And then he got Clement Longley from Barcelona in on loan um, while, by, while Barcelona just goes and signs everybody known to man. Uh, Tottenham managed to get one of their players. So they added depth at center back. They added two wing backs. They added an borderline elite DM. They added a borderline elite striker slash winger. And then they added, um, you know, a couple other names that I didn't mention here. But Fraser Forster was a big one. The guy was basically playing like like Champions League final Courtois for the last 10 games of the season this year for some reason. That's big for them. I just think 
I'm kind of scared of them this year. I'm not going to lie. I'll get into it a little bit more, but yeah, I just think they, that the only thing a Conte team needs is a starting 11 and a little bit of depth, and they got a lot of depth. I so mean, he won the Premier League with us that way. Um, obviously, we weren't in the Champions League, but we only needed a starting 11 to win the Premier League that year. You mentioned depth, and, and, and that's, I think, the big thing here. You have your starting back line is probably Eric Dyer, Romero, plus one. So mm-hmm. if it's Ben Davies on the left, you still have Langley, Sanchez, Tanganga to work on. Then your wingbacks. You mentioned that. On the right side, you can have Jed Spence. You can have Doherty. You can have Emerson Royal. On the left side, you can have Perisic, Sessegnon. Um, there's somebody else on the left that I can't. No, it's those two. And then you mentioned Yves Basuma to Emerson Royal. Well, I have him on the right. So, on oh. the, I'm, and in the center mids, you got Bissouma rotating in with Hoiberg and Betancourt, and Betancourt played really well as well once he came in in January. And then the front three, which, if any of them went down last season in terms of Son, Kane, and uh, Kulusevski, there's a big drop off, and now you have Lucas Mora and Richarlison who can slot in in any of those roles. So, yeah, I don't think Conte has had depth like this before i don't think any of the signings are are like world changing signings but they're all solid and i think that as long as they're willing to to use conte's own world's words suffer i think that that's a scary prospect and based on their preseason in japan they're going to be whooped into shape yeah big time yeah i i decided to go on the other end of the table uh, my pick for best window is Nottingham Forest. Um, they, For a promoted side, I think they've done really good business. And while that, whenever promoted sides come up, I think they make the mistake of, of trying to ensure that they'll have firepower from players that aren't Premier League proven. And the thing that I like about their window is that they focus on the defense. Uh, first off, they signed Mines as captain in Niakate to play center back. Um, played in a back four, has played also in a back three, so he should slot into their back three system here. He's got the speed, he's got the size. So as long as he can sort of update or upgrade his pace um, of play, he should be able to adapt. Um, they stole, because they straight up stole Nico Williams from Fulham. Um, so that they have a direct replacement to Jed Spence, who we just mentioned, went to Tottenham. Um, they also got Omar Richards on a cheap from Bayern. So that's your left wing back cover. And while Dean Henderson didn't have the best couple outings last season with United, I think that he's one of those keepers that needs to be playing every week to show his true talent. And I think that loan is a steal for them. I think that that's a you have a Premier League proven keeper. Uh, he kept Sheffield United in the Premier League at the time um, with like some crazy, crazy um, expected saves. And the last pick, uh, which some people say is probably not the best way of spending your money because it is a big salary with 200K a week, but Lingard as a 10 or roaming behind your striker in a counterattacking system works. I mean, he was, I mean, he played half a season for West Ham what not this previous season but the one before and scored like at a ridiculous rate or was providing a ridiculous rate for them um and was essentially the 
their player of the season for the second half of the season. So to me, I think that Lingard's also, this is his last chance to prove himself. Um, he never wanted to stay at United last season anyways, because he wanted those minutes and keep that streak going. So as long as he is, which he should be at Forest operating in transition, I think that he could have a, a good season and, and like spoiler alert for when we get to relegation, I think Nottingham Forest is going to stay up. I think that this defense that they're building, especially in a back three system, which seems to be successful um, for teams promoted, is going to stay up. And I think they'll do so kind of the way, the same way Brentford City did, which is not extremely comfortable, but comfortable enough to where in the last month of the season, you're not sweating, thinking that you're going to be dropping back to the relegation zone. I think their style matches Brentford's too. Like they, they, they don't necessarily, I don't think they're necessarily going to play like a championship side and stick defenders behind the ball and sort of try to nick a nil-nil or a one-one and just count on those 40 points for safety. They're going to actually go for wins because they actually, they did add a lot of quality, um, especially, you know, to their defense. So I think defensively they'll be pretty solid. They might, they might keep a few clean sheets. And ultimately, that's my. I, I think that's what's going to get them to safety because their attack isn't necessarily the greatest. But you know, if if you're if you're a bottom half of the table team and you can manage to keep anywhere from five to seven clean sheets, especially if you're a team that just got promoted, that's a win for you. And I think Nottingham might be able to get at least five. I think they're good enough to do it, just at least based on paper. So we'll yeah, see. And and I really rate their manager. He took over. Like Nottingham Forest fired their manager last season, whoever it was before him, and and uh, Steve Cooper took over when they were like pushing relegation out of the championship. And after his takeover, they conceded the least amount of goals in all of the championship, and obviously went all the way up to getting promoted. So. Yeah, I, I think it's exciting. I think a lot of fans are excited to have them back in the Premier League. And I just think, you know, they have what it takes to to kind of cement their place at least for one more season um, in the Premier League. Now, this next sort of like category that I want to pitch to you, Zach, and I, and I, I guess I'll take over so I can explain myself a little bit. I'm putting overachieving. So this in my head is a team that is going to surprise in what their expectations are. So a team that many people may have in the relegation, perhaps staying in or a team that is mid table crap, maybe pushing for a European spot, that sort of context. And for me, I think the overachieving team this upcoming season is Leeds United. I think a lot of people think that this team is, has lost a lot of its firepower. You mentioned Rafinha and Calvin Phillips as well have left, and they barely survived by. Was it the hair? The last hair on your chin? What's the saying? You're you've lived here longer than I have. The hairs of the chinny chin chin. There you go. Sure, maybe that's what it is. So I think a lot of people just they don't know what Jesse Marsh can bring to the table because, let's be real, not unless you're American, you probably haven't really paid attention to his managerial trajectory. But for me, I think it's a little bit more than just the manager. I think that these players won't be running themselves to death in the first half of the season. I think that Bielsa's system it was unrealistic and it killed any hope for this team before the story was written. Like 
they were good earlier on in the season. They were surprising teams. And I don't think Jesse Marsh is naive enough to run such a crazy taxing system. And so I expect a little bit more counter. I expect a little bit more sitting back, absorbing pressure, and then exploding forward. Um, Sinestra is injured right now, but I think that was a nice signing to, to come up the left side. I think, you know, we talked about Aronson already at the, the potentially at the 10 behind Bamford. Rodrigo started playing a little bit better under under uh, Jesse Marsh. If Bamford can stay healthy, is he's a pretty good uh, finisher. Then in the pivot, you have Tyler Adams, who I think is great at just protecting the back line. And, and the kind of wild card signing for them is Marco Roca, who he was signed by Bayern as like the up-and-coming talent. I believe it was out of Sociedad at the time. Maybe Espanol, I can't remember. It was one of those two Spanish sides. And injury kind of tainted his time there, but he's still extremely young. He has every kind of tool in his in his uh, tool belt, I guess, to, to succeed. And so, yes, these all these additions are bit, bits of gambles because they didn't come from the Premier League. But I think you mix that with a manager that's a little bit more self-aware of where his team is at. And I think Leeds can, can get themselves out of the relegation battle and and end somewhere you know between 15th and 12th no nothing more than that but i think that's a good jump especially from where they were coming last season you're muted sorry i was muted uh just to kind of continue my theme um i think spurs have a really good chance of not just making top four obviously but I do think they have a decent chance of possibly leapfrogging us, and I think that could be considered an overachievement, um, considering the trophy cabinet comparisons <laughs> and the, just the general expectations. But again, just kind of harking back, you know, last time I talked about the importance of adding depth to the team, but now let's talk about the importance of Antonio Conte. I mean, if if the guy knows how to do anything, it's accomplish not just win league titles, but accomplish your goals in the league, right? Last year it was finish in the top four and make Champions League. Granted, there were some people that doubted him. He did it um, and got the results that he needed. And now he's gotten the confidence of Daniel Levy. And it's something that we haven't really seen any other manager do, per se. You know, all of these signings are Conte signings. None of them strike me as a potential... Oh, Daniel Levy saw this guy and had to get them. Maybe Jed Spence, because I I don't think Conte's flying around England watching championship matches. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, you even look at last season when they picked up Bentoncourt, former Juve player. You know, um, they picked up Romero from the Serie A. They picked up Perisic from the Serie A. Kulusevsky from the Serie A. Kulusevsky from the Serie A and Juve. So there's all of these, you know, subtle connections to not only his past, but these are just... These are just instances and, 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 and examples of signings that are his. So with that being said, it terrifies the shit out of me because Antonio Conte is a very good manager and he knows how to get results. And we also know what, exactly what style he's going to play. So I'm just looking down this list. I mean, none of those guys really strike me as being bitches for the most part. And in the past, Tottenham would usually sign players that tended to seem soft. Or there would be signings where we would look at it and be like, that's kind of questionable. I'm not too sure about that. You know, from the outside looking in, with removing your removing your fanhood bias. So I think they bought really well. 
I think they bought the exact profiles that they needed. And I think combined, you, you combine that with a world-class manager in Antonio Conte, um, it could be scary. Now, they could finish in front of Chelsea um, if Chelsea do not, or if Chelsea do suffer injuries, right? If we suffer one or two critical injuries, even for a five to seven game stretch, I think that's enough to get Spurs ahead of us. I think it's going to be really tight. Really, really tight. I'm going to say maybe less than 10 points between us and them this season again. Just, you know, a couple games, maybe. But yeah, it just doesn't make me feel very good. And granted, I know Chelsea have a lot of transfers on the back burner right now. But as of today, Spurs terrify the shit out of me. It's funny that it's such a Spursy thing to think that overachieving your expectation is to stay in the same table position as you did last season. Just very, very Spursy. But hey, well, considering City bought the best striker, you know, on the market, out, you know, besides Lewandowski, of course. But and then you know, Liverpool obviously strengthened and spent damn near a hundred million again. So they have- I don't. I just think the gap between us and Liverpool and City is is so far away. And and I think, if anything, Spurs have just caught up to us. And we're just still kind of in that middle ground of, you know, being tweeners. It is is what it is. But we'll get to the top four in a little bit. Now, I explained overachievers. So basically, flip the script now. Give me your underachieving team, Zach. Leicester. They didn't buy anybody. And... They're planning on selling Tielemon, which is a disaster because I haven't really seen them being linked with anybody to replace him. Um, yeah, and especially if they sell Fafana to us. Listen, there's not many center backs on the market where they're going to be able to turn around and necessarily profit that much off of Fafana in terms of potential. The only other center backs on the market that matches potential are probably Gavardio, who we're also linked with. And he's damn near $60 million. More. So, more. Yeah, he's probably near 80. So, you know, if Leicester are going to sell, you obviously got to replace the guy with someone half decent. Are you going to take the punt on a young up-and-coming English center back? Or are you going to buy someone that's a little bit more proven that can gain value in the future? The problem is all those guys cost $80 million, the same exact price as Fafana. So, you know... They just really stuck themselves in a shitty position. If you're going to sell an 80 million pound player, you do it early. You get it out of the way. The same conversation goes for Tielemont. It's 50 million pounds. You get him out. That's 50 million that you can spend on the squad. I'm pretty sure if you ask, if you go and call Brendan Rodgers right now and ask him, hey, you have 130 million to spend, he will, he will, he'll tell you who he wants to spend it on. I don't, I don't <laughs> think that's a secret. So. It, it it just kind of baffles me that you know we're four days out from the season and they really haven't made any moves. Yeah, and Grealish, uh, not sorry, not Grealish. Uh, Jamie Vardy's another year older. Uh, Thirty-five. You don't, yeah. You really still don't know what Paxton Daka is gonna do for you. Ianacho is for sure now just a super sub at best. There's rumors of uh, James Madison being linked to Newcastle and they keep bidding. So who knows if. That's something that could happen. It's a love-hate and, relationship with Madison and Leicester and fans, I, too. And I don't know if Barnes is, is – is it Barnes, the left winger? Harvey Barnes, yeah. Harvey Barnes, he's I don't know. He's if, nice. Is, 
I don't know if he can carry a whole team on his own. So, yeah, the fact that Leicester is the only Premier League team who hasn't signed anybody to their first team is is definitely a, a, a red flag for them. Now, my underachieving team is Wolves. I think that if it wasn't for Jose Saw last season, I think this team would be far worse and far lower on the table than they ended up being. Their leading goal scorer had six goals in the Premier League which is awful. <laughs> and like their underlying stats are just, there was just nothing moving forward. They only took 3.6 shots on target a game. They created a total, a grand total of 41 big chances in the league all season. And they were averaging one goal a match by the end of the season. Again, if Jose Saw doesn't play the way he did for them in the second half of the season, this Wolves team would have just been completely like, I think they finished 10th. They could have easily been 16th. Uh, I don't know that they've done too much business. I think they were one of the other teams that took forever to sign somebody this year or this summer. I know that Bruno Lodge is trying to do the back four going into the summer, which maybe alleviates a little bit of the the lack of creativity moving forward, but it could then also become an issue defensively where their Jose Saw is going to have to be working overtime. I just don't have the confidence in this group, especially when their players like Pedenz and Neto can't finish a whole season without getting injured. To think that Wolves still has that sort of fire to, to be one of those matches where you're like, oh, this could be a bogey match. I just don't see that in them anymore. So that's my pick. I just think they were extremely underwhelming and they haven't shown any sort of ambition to change that aside from a potential system change. Yeah, I'm looking here. They really only dipped and bought Nathan Collins and uh, Leon Chiwomi. I don't know who that is. They bought that guy from Wimbledon. So kind of tells you what you need to know. Hoang Hee Chan was there last year. He gave him a nice spark. So who knows? Maybe he grows a little bit this year. But again, none of them are like very inspiring players that could, you know, overachieve or be world beaters. But I'm just going through their list of outgoings, Andres. Mark Hall, so they lost the wing back. Um, John Ruddy, the backup goalkeeper, Roman Saiz, who was one of their most versatile players. He pretty he played center mid, wing back, and center back for them. Uh, Ruben Vinagre, I know he went to Everton. I mean, these are Fabio Silva. These are all first team players from last season, um, and they've replaced them with relatively unknown commodities. So, I I, I hope the back four works for them because I think I don't know. I just kind of like them. I don't I don't necessarily support him obviously but I like him as a club like it's 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 always nice when they come up so it would just suck to see him sort of crash and burn especially considering that they do have talent it's just a matter of kind of getting them all on the field at the same exact time and you do got to keep in mind you know the Ruben Neves effect as well you are going to potentially lose him so again just like Leicester if you're going to sell a 50 million pound player, you should do it early in the window. Otherwise, there's going to be no other pots to to pick from. So they kind of stuck themselves in a hard spot as well, especially knowing that they're probably going to be competing with Leicester for the same targets should both of the should both of those guys get the moves they want. 
Yeah, I mean, with with the whole thing where Frankie de Jong doesn't want to go to United, Ruben Neves always seems to be their plan B in midfield. And I don't see how someone like Ruben Neves can turn down a move to Man United. So Man United should point. buy them. He's the wrong player for them. Please I, go after I'm him. I'm not saying that's the right move. I'm not saying that at all, but <laughs> just pointing that out. Now, let's go to some accolades, individual accolades, before we hit uh, the relegation teams in the top four. Um, this one, again, is a little bit of up to your interpretation, and I'm going for, like, most improved player. Um, you can call this maybe a breakout player or maybe a uh, bounce-back player. And... I'll start. I think my most improved player for this upcoming season is going to be Jack Grealish. And I know Jack Grealish was a hundred million transfer. I know he literally by himself made sure Aston Villa got back into the Premier League and, and stayed there. But he was trash last season and he had high expectations. I think he had less than five goals in the whole of the Premier League season. But here's my thing. Players usually take about a year to adapt to Pep Guardiola's system. I also think Raheem Sterling and Gabriel Jesus leaving means that Jack Grealish should be in that left wing spot a little bit more frequently than he was last season. There's also the Erling Collin factor to where even if you want to try to give uh, Grealish more attention, then you're just opening yourself up to this freaking Norwegian machine in the box to scoring. So again, you've seen this before with um with signings under uh under Pep like Cancelo. Cancelo under Pep in the first season was awful and everybody was like why would they get him? He wasn't great and now Cancelo is arguably the world's best fullback. I mean the, the guy's wearing the number 7 jersey now at City because he's just that damn good that he can just flex like that and be the number seven for a team like city i think rodri is another good example when he first joined city everyone's like oh man city's probably regretting not getting Jorginho, and now rodri is arguably the world's best dm so a lot of these things kind of line up for me to think that jack grealish is going to be back to the jack grealish we expect and start living up to his hundred mil valuation it doesn't it also I have to say it because I know I'm I do have a bias. I rate Jack Grealish, so I hope for my own stocks that he does come back. I just don't see how he goes another season where he's underperforming XG and assists and sort of like that. I think he'll be back to his uh expected um uh, levels. So there's two names that come to my mind, and I don't know necessarily if Either of them are most improved, but I do definitely think that they're going to have uh, way better seasons this year. So Jesse Lingard, I think, is a name that you can kind of throw in there. He's not necessarily a young player to where if he has a good season, you could say, oh, look, he improved overnight. But yeah. I think he could definitely be that surprise sort of not breakout player, but player that just kind of pops on the scene with the goals and assists to where you sort of see his name up there with Salah and Harry Kane and De Bruyne and such, you know, for certain stretches. I'm not saying across the entire season, but <laughs> you alluded to it, Andres. Lingard's a type of player that can pop for five, six matches in a row and just kind of be the player everybody thought he was going to be when he was in his early 20s. 
but he'll only do that for five games. And then he goes back to being Jesse Lingard. So I think that could be a really positive signing for them. I think another one, and again, I don't know if this is most improved or not, but I think it could be Konate. That was a guy who was in and out of Liverpool starting 11 last season. And I know when he started, I believe they didn't lose a game, right? Something like yeah. that. Or was that and when he starts at Anfield? So right. again, no starts in general. Yeah. Starts in general. He hasn't, they haven't lost when he's in a starting 11. So again, is it an improvement if he plays well this season? I don't know, but the improvement for me comes with the consistency. Oftentimes he would get swapped in and out for Matic, and it would sort of be a mix and match. And there were, to be honest, there were even question marks early on in the season about the signing in general. People were saying, is he even like sort of the right profile to partner a guy like Van Dyke? And I think he proved late on in the season that he is. I think he's perfect for Van Dyke. He's huge. He's technical. Uh, he's very physical. He kind of has that ability to read the play before it happens like Van Dyke does. And I think playing next to Van Dyke, he's just going to learn how to do that even better. So that's where your improvement's really going to come in. I think as you see him play 10, 15 games in a row with the same guy over and over and over, he's just going to get that much better. And granted, yes, he's not a top five or top 10 center back prospect in world football. But when you play next to a guy like Van Dyke, and when you're at, and when you're at the age Konate is, especially with his ability, he definitely has the opportunity to learn in these next three four years to become that player in his late twenties. So the potential is definitely there. And you know, I think I just kind of talked myself into saying Konate, but I do feel <laughs> like you know saying Lingard was a good shout as well. So I'm gonna kind of go in between those two guys. Um, I think either one of them would be a good shout for being a huge improvement on what they produced last season for their teams. That's fair. That's fair. I think a couple of people probably think that a manager like Ten Hag can maybe revitalize Rashford and Sancho. I I keep seeing that left and right. Um, Harvey Elliott being healthy and immediately being inserted back into that midfield three of Liverpool. We saw what he could do with, I think he played about five or six Premier League matches. Maybe he's ready to explode. Um, there's options out there. I think it's harder to to kind of go there and, and judge like defensive players. Obviously, you know, Declan Rice put his name on the on on the map for sure last season. I just don't know how do you gauge if he got better defensively. So little things like that are a little bit tougher to to really measure. Uh, but I mean, Konate just stay to to kind of put his name and stamp his spot in the starting 11 would be a good shout under Liverpool and like I said mine with Grealish I mean you paid 100 million for him so he better start showing up now mm. player of the season Zach just straight up best player of the season best player of the season is going to go to the best player in the Premier League Mo Salah okay I I, I just I know they got Darwin Nunez who knows if he could score goals or not? We only saw him play one match in the Community Shield, and he did score. But, again, it's just it's kind of hard to look past Mo Salah because I, I, I'm looking down the list here of just the top players in the league, and he's the only guy that I could bank on that will be healthy that will guarantee 25 goals a season. Guarantee. So, But does the missing Sadio Mane for a full season affect that? I think if anything, it's just going to put more of a load on Salah and he's just going to be, I think you're going to see a lot of his metrics go up and some of his metrics go down. Like for example, I think he's going to, his, his take-ons are going to go up 
a lot now that Mane's not there to do the taking on, which is usually his role, and Salah was more of the finisher. I think Salah's going to try and be more of a creator this season, so you could see his assist numbers going up. You could see his take-on numbers going up. But then we also know that lethal touch. He's going to be good for two or three hat-tricks this year across all competitions. He always is. He's going to get a run of games where he scores a goal every match for 12 matches or 15 matches. He always does. You know, he's just sort of a freak talent at the top of his game. And I think, you know, the arrival of Holland and the strengthening of all the other teams around him is just going to kind of give him more of, and especially Mane leaving, it's going to give him more of a motivation to sort of step up and be that guy. They went out, they bought Darwin Nunez, they brought in Jota last season. You know, he could be looking at those guys being like, hey, the king is still here. You know, I'm still going to do my thing and you guys can learn from me. But this isn't about you. I don't care how much they spent on you. I still know Mo Salah is going to give me a, at the very least, and this is being modest, a 2010 season. He's going to give you 20 yeah. goals and 10 assists. Minimum. So, so I, I'll give you that. I think I think one thing that's also not being talked about enough is that there's a World Cup in the middle of our season and mm-hmm. Salah gets a break. He gets to stay in England and just worry about the Premier League season. Last year, he had to go to AFCON and he was still performing. So, still the leading score, or no, right. yeah, he still shared the golden boot. So it's one of those things where, like, I, I totally see that pitch. For me, and, and I had two names written down here, and I think I've talked, I've thought myself into one more than the other. I put Kevin De Bruyne or Harry Kane. Uh, we discussed already how Harry Kane's game could improve because of, you know, the fact that he doesn't have to play every single minute, every single match, and, and exhaust himself into injury which could only help, you know, add the five sub rule, all that, how much more he can produce for a team. And, and the way that he plays, it's like a weird, it's it's such a complete forward thing where he's the provider, but he's also the finisher. And he's just always around when the goals are happening. But my pick is now KDB, Kevin De Bruyne. And it's simple as this. The man already oozes assists left and right. And now you've given him this Norwegian Terminator that scored 40-plus goals even though he missed a third of last season. And when I think of Holland, sure, he's coming from Bundesliga to Premier League and there's, you know, the Bundesliga tax and all that. But I see Holland and I, and, and I think he has that same, like, asshole mentality as someone like Ronaldo where the dude is just out there to look to improve himself and he just... He believes that he is better than everyone out there, and he will work to do that. Uh, obviously, his injuries may be an issue, but with KDB taking essentially every single set piece, and and I mean he has unmatched vision. I I think he'll easily lead the league in assists. And again, when everybody's turned elsewhere, KDB can also slap in some goals. He always has. He's always lurking in the top of the box. Can get himself in there and. And score some himself. He'll, so, he'll get you about 10-ish, usually. Yeah, yeah, I, definitely. And, and I think the big difference here is that he'll be, he already pulls all the strings, and instead of having a false nine and a small false, false nine at that like they did last year, it's Holland. And then if Holland isn't playing at the number nine, you have Julian Alvarez, who I still think, um, even Sneaky. with shared minutes, is going to be a monster for City. Yeah. I, I just really rate the guy out of River Plate. To, to really do something for them. So, again, 
KDB gets to have a little bit of fun. Rodri is going to protect him. The back line is now extremely solid and healthy again because Kyle Walker's back. I just think, like, it's it's primed for KDB to be player of the season. But, again, we'll, we'll see. Now, top scorer, I didn't pick your pick for player of the season in Mo Salah to be the player of the season, but I'm picking him to be top scorer, Zach. And you mentioned that his assist numbers are going to go up. I actually think the opposite. I think everything is going to end with Mo Salah. I think that Luis Diaz, while he likes to dribble and all that, is still going to be – he's going to be less selfish in front of goal than someone like Sadio Mane. As much as they paid for Darwin Nunez, I don't think that he's going to be – much like Kanate, I think that Darwin Nunez is going to be a name that you'll see more in the second half of the season – Klopp is not going to put him in at the beginning. You have Jota there, who is used to playing in the false nine for Liverpool. You have Firmino still, who is keen on staying, and Liverpool is okay with staying another year. So to me, Salah, who already takes penalties, he takes free kicks when they're kind of aimed for a left footer to take them. And on top of that, you don't have the goal-scoring assistance from Sadio Mane, who is also a player who... I mean, he left because he wasn't getting the respect he thought he deserved. I think everything is going to fall on Mo Salah, whether intentionally or unintentionally. And not having a World Cup, I just see him just running away with the gold. Well, maybe not running away with the golden boot, but just he'll get it again, if not be a top three scorer just for, for yet another season. I can't look past Holland. Um, the amount of chances that Man City creates is just stupid. And the fact that they got somebody there that can score all kinds of goals um, is really scary. Now, I know the big criticism, and I've heard this from a few people, and it, and it, it drives me up the wall. I've heard this a few times. Oh, but Holland is really good at running behind defenses. We haven't seen him with a pack defense. Have you seen how intelligent his movement is? there's no way a guy like that cannot play in a Manchester City system. And guess what? If he can't, Pep's going to make a system around him. (laughs) That's how it works. So I think we're guaranteed to get at least 25 goals from him to 20 goals. Depends on his fitness, of course. I know that's a big question mark. You know, he's a big guy. He's a very physical player. He does get hurt from time to time. But it just really scares me. You know, the last few seasons, it's really been ever since Aguero left, we always kind of wondered what City would look like if they got a world-class, you know, undoubtedly world-class striker. And they got their guy. And I think this guy, at the end of the day, if he stays there longer and long enough, you know, he's going to win a few trophies with them. So, yeah, I'm going to go with Holland. Can't really look past it. I, I, I think Harry Kane and, and Son and obviously Salah, they're going to score a lot of goals and they're going to get their own. But, you know, Holland's going to take the most shots on goal this season. So he has to score the most. That's why, I mean, again, Holland is one of those where he'll either bang or we'll see. <laughs> it's a, it's inevitable, I feel like, with him. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I highly rate Holland. I'm still upset that we didn't go in as hard last summer and ended up with he who shall not be named in a Chelsea jersey. So now let's move on to relegation. Three teams have to go down, Zach. Who do you got going down 
back to the championship or maybe just going back or going down to the championship after a stint in the Premier League. So uh, in 20th, finishing dead last, I have Bournemouth. Um, they just haven't done anything in the transfer window that made me say, oh, that's some savvy business. Um, no really sneaky signings, no bargain signings, just a bunch of relatively unknown commodities, a couple mixed with a couple veterans. So I think they're going to struggle on both sides of the ball. Um, I think uh, Fulham's going to struggle as well. I have them in 19th. Again, I mean, you can you can sign anybody you want, but if you're wasting one of your marquee signings on a guy like Andreas Pereira, you really can't expect much out of your, your season in general. I think they're going to struggle again. For some reason, their owners just cannot figure it out. And, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I shouldn't complain about Chelsea fan. So, yeah, Fulham's going down 19th. And then 18th, my pick is different than yours. I got Southampton. Um, again, I know they signed uh, Aribo, the guy uh, who started in the Europa final for Rangers. Um, but the bottom line is they really didn't add any other depth. They didn't do anything different. They're going to show up next season with the same midfield. Probably no Armando Broja. The same, yeah, the same center backs. You know, they're going to line up with the same two or three center forwards that they had to pick from minus Broja. They're going to have, you know, a mix of Shea Adams, Shane Long, if he's still there, probably will be. I don't think he's ever going to leave. And then uh, who else do they have up there? Is Ward Prowse's free kicks going to really get you that far? I mean, look, Ward-Prowse is the best spot kick taker in the Premier League, in my opinion. Or not spot kick taker, dead ball taker in the Premier League. But that's not going to do it for you guys. You got to get something on the field. So I'm looking at their midfield outside of Ward-Prowse. You're not getting any production uh, in terms of goals and assists. Their wingers don't really inspire me. Gineppo's kind of nice sometimes, but then sometimes he's not. Shea Adams will get you your occasional goal. But what else is there? The team really doesn't have anything. Their best player is a 19-year-old right back it's or 20-year-old right back. So it's just, I don't know. I'm just not high on them. So I have Bournemouth, Fulham, and Southampton, all three of them going down next year. Yeah, I, I agree with the Bournemouth and the Fulham um, picks. Bournemouth to me, I think, I believe like Solanke was responsible for something like 50% of their goals last season. And I think he scored like 20 something goals in the championship. And and then there's like another stat that I came across that's that says like players from the championship have about a they drop down to about 25 percent of the goal tally they had in the championship the next season if they go to the Premier League. So now you're telling me that Solanke will be good for maybe five to seven matches or sorry, game uh, goals which is just simply not enough, especially if that's 50% of your goal scoring. Uh, with Fulham, if it, it's all going to come down to the Fulham owners. You mentioned them. If they have patience with uh, their manager, Silva, who I think has done a decent job. But also, again, same thing. Mitrovic is going to have to carry all the load. And can he convert, let's say, half the goals, which is already a lot to ask, um, in the Premier League, 
I just don't know. I, I don't think their defense is is something like they're going into another season with who's the American, the American center back that plays for Fulham still there. Tim Ream. You're still going another season with Tim Ream. <laughs> and and then my last pick is Everton. I don't think Frank Lampard has shown that he's got it figured out just yet. I think that vibes saved his ass last season. But same issues he had at Chelsea, which were the the big gaps between the lines are still there. You lost your at your best striker of last season, even though Carlvin Lewin started well. I mean, it was it was Richarlison's show. And I just don't think that things are going to get better there. I actually fear that Lampard might be one of the first uh, sackings of the season. And if he's yet sacked, who's going to come in? Sean Dyche, who is just going to sit back. And and then who's going to create for that team? So, yeah, it's a a bit surprising, but I do have Everton at 18th uh, getting relegated as well. Yeah. It kind of sucks. <laughs> sucks for Frankie. Yeah, um, and I feel for Fulham. I mean, I, we have a friend, our friend Amir, he loves Fulham, and it's just a bummer that they did so well and potentially could go right back once again to the championship. They just can't get it right. They cannot get yeah. it right. Um, yeah, so that kind of wraps up this one. Um, we got to finish with top four, Zach. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. How can I forget? We We have the same four teams. If we just want to jump in on it, we have yeah. the four teams. Now the order may different differ, but the four teams are City, Liverpool, Chelsea, and Spurs. Um, I think we both agree that City's going to probably win the league. Yeah. With Liverpool a close second. Mm-hmm. Then there's going to be a canyon-sized gap, and then it'll be a battle between Chelsea and Spurs. I think. Does that so. sound? Does that sound about right? Sounds about right. Now, when I made you... my list, I made it with the transfers as of now. Okay. And we are recording on Monday evening, August the 1st. So we do not have Kukureya just yet. We have not formally made a bid for Fafana just yet. Um, But just based on now, even if we do pull off Kukureya, I still think... Spurs are a team to be to be kind of scared of. I do, not kind of scared of. Just we have to be wary of them throughout the season. Like we know, Conte's teams are going to be consistent. They're going to defend well. They have goals up top, undoubtedly. They have the best front two combo in the last couple seasons. We we're really in for a for a doozy. And I think to be fair, Andres, I think the first two teams could be interchanged too. But yep. the, but just the fact that City was able to pull off a Holland type signing yeah. gives them the clear edge. Yeah, no, I, I agree there. I think the the last bit is for me. I think Chelsea still gets third place. I was very disappointed with the U.S. tour, but watching that last Udinese match where the players weren't flying in day of through time zones and actually getting to play with the full basically the starting 11 outside of Chilwell and Kovacic. It reminded me of what the fall of last season looked like when Lukaku was hurt and Chelsea was 
a force. And I know you're saying, oh, well, we don't have the rest of the of the signings or potential signings, but I'm going to let myself imagine that they'll be here and we'll have actual cover for a potential Chilwell injury. I think that Cucurella or Cucurella, I honestly need to figure out which is the correct Catalan because that's not even Spanish. They have their own rules. But essentially, he can play left wing back or left center back. I think I believe that he has he's in like the top 95 percentile of every um, defensive stat as a wing back, uh, whether it's recoveries, tackles, interceptions, but then also in terms of progressive passes, progressive dribbles, uh, completed dribbles, and even something like nutmegs, which is irrelevant, but it shows that the guy can beat players one-on-one. And then in defense, Koulibaly, I believe, is a full upgrade on Rudiger. I think um, Chalaba showed that he can be a starting level player in a back three. I think that the Fofana transfer, as insane as it might have sounded about a week ago, I think there's where there's smoke, there's fire, and that's somebody that we can probably get across the board. So now you're telling me that we've upgraded on the two center backs. You can even throw Aspie in there. Three center backs, we've upgraded on those outgoings with Koulibaly and potentially Fofana and even Kukurea, who can slide into back three. I think we've upgraded in terms of left wing back if it's if the core of left wing back is Chilwell, Kukurea, and someone like Emerson, because we probably will let Alonso go. Surprisingly enough, I think Loftus-Cheek has shown that he's a very capable cover at right wing back behind Reese James. And even Cho, who his stock keeps going down in my head, I think he even shown he's he can be used at times at right wing back this offseason. I think the only hiccup that can perhaps keep Chelsea from being in third place is we are now relying on Kai Havertz for a full season. But even then, I think that's something that we'll see improve um, week in, week out, especially with him linking up with someone like Raheem Sterling, who just has a high expectation of performance coming from City. So I don't know. As much as Spurs improved this season, I think that it's easy to forget just how good we were last fall. But I don't want to get too caught up on the Chelsea part of things. I know we'll discuss it more in a Chelsea-specific Premier League podcast that we'll do later this week but yeah man i love the kukurea signing i think it's fucking sick the fact that we're just going out and like again we said this in the past we cannot fault bully's ambition whatsoever he's matched every valuation teams have put out for players and he's only targeted the best targets in those positions or the top targets in those positions so fuck yeah I really hope we do it. I think it's more important to get cover at left wing back than right wing back too. I know we have Emerson and, you know, Alonso's probably on his way out, but Kukurea is a sure thing, man. He's already Premier League. There's zero question marks about his ability. And to be fair to him, he might even, he could, he could even compete for that starting left wing back spot. He's, he's good enough. So yeah, with that being said, that does wrap up the uh, podcast here. Uh, make sure you're following us on Twitter um, and uh, also checking out our new episodes every week. Um, Andres and I will be recording another Chelsea-focused episode, as he mentioned earlier, so make sure you're keeping your eyes out for that one as well. And until next time, keep the blue flag flying high.